Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. Today I have my good friend, super talented buddy, Nick Sonnenberg. And Nick, I was really excited to have you on the podcast today again, because you have found in my estimation a way to systematize as you do so well, systematize and put into play unique ability teamwork. And I am really excited. You call it dynamic role optimization, and it really solves a number of problems for entrepreneurial companies. So before we jump into that, though, so just to give a little teaser, let people know who you are and what you do and how you support entrepreneurial companies. Well, thank you so much for having me back, Shannon. I always love our chats and being on the show. So my company is called Leverage, and we help businesses optimize top and bottom line revenue. So top line revenue would be marketing agency arm. So we provide you with a team of freelancers to do marketing related services like Facebook ads and content. And what I am more known for personally is all the bottom line revenue stuff, which is operational efficiency. So we have processes and frameworks that we help to roll out within businesses to remove the scavenger hunt and to optimize an organization's efficiency. And so that could be how you're using email and internal communication, or it could be how you're using project management software and understanding when and how to use each of these types of tools. Or it could be all about optimizing and documenting your policies and processes. So a lot of those types of things are typically neglected in a company because you're really just focusing on leads and marketing and sales. But really getting that foundation in place is critical to being able to scale without the pain, right? And so I'm really interested in how do you run the most efficient organization and, you know, whether it's a technology or a way of using a technology or, you know, whatever, how can you just get the most out of people? And, you know, some of your concepts about unique ability and things that give people joy. I don't think that anyone loves going on a scavenger hunt or having to chase someone for information or lose a document and have to redo it. So, you know, if you can create systems and processes to reduce that crap that's happening, it's going to increase your bottom line and it's going to improve culture and you're just going to get more out of people. I think that most companies are probably not even getting 50% out of their employees and it causes them to overhire to compensate for lack of efficiency. Ooh, that is such a good point. Overhire to make up for lack of efficiency. Yeah. That's so true. And there's just also the straight irritation factor of not being able, as you said, to find things, the scavenger hunt, which you and I have talked about a lot, yeah. and not having a go-to place. And as people are more and more virtual, more and more, you know, nomadic, more we can travel again more easily, all of those things, it's more and more essential to have those systems, those platforms at work in your business. And that isn't a level of thinking that most people have had to go to. But since 2020, it's not a nice to have anymore. It's kind of a need to have. Well, 100%. And also complexity scales exponentially with team size. So it's not even just the cost of making that extra unnecessary hire. You now have exponential more complexity in terms of how many different ways information can get transferred inside the company, right? So... There's just so many direct and indirect cause and effects by not being operationally efficient that people ought to take seriously. And I get it. Everyone's underwater and you've already got so many projects and so many calls and all this stuff. And so what ends up happening is you try to cut a corner and you just, okay, I'm just going to text Shannon. I'm just going to email Shannon. I'm just going to do this because it 
You want to get it as quick off your plate as possible. And so optimizing for speed of transfer of information in the short term helps you. Long term, it can really hurt you. And so a lot of this is shifting the thinking to optimize instead of speed of transfer. How do you set up systems and process to optimize for speed of retrieval of information? So you take pause. Maybe it takes an extra 10 seconds, but instead of sending them the answer, you send them a link to the SOP in your knowledge base. Um, instead, it might take a little bit extra, but if everyone does things like that, you know, imagine how the company's going to be long-term. Yeah, a lot of that mindset is not just, you know, feed a man a fish, but teach him how to fish. <laughs> it's really, exactly. it, it really yeah. is that, you know, the speed of retrieval, I'm, that could be a whole other podcast, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> well, it's the core of everything, actually. Like if I had to distill everything, it's optimizing for speed of retrieval of information. Yeah, that's a very interesting concept. And I think one that's a little bit new, you know, there's a whole other way of doing it when we were in person very different way of doing it when we're not. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty fascinating. And one of the things I really like about what our main focus is today is that you found a way to really dynamically optimize people's roles. And often in entrepreneurial companies, just to talk about the challenge for a moment, is that you hire someone in, we were talking about hiring criteria <laughs> before we started, you know, you're looking for someone who's a high performer, someone who's you know, to use our client criteria, ambitious, creative, cooperative, talented, hard worker, all of those things, smart. But then we put them in place and sometimes they stay there and it's static. They often don't know how to grow. If you look at the differences between a corporate or bureaucratic structure versus an entrepreneurial one, there isn't exactly a ladder to climb. You know, how is it that you figure out how to grow? How do you figure out how to get a pay increase? How do you figure out how to reward people at a higher level? It's a bit of a mystery. And I really am excited to talk to you about this because I think you've kind of cracked the code, <laughs> but also based on who are the humans that you have, you know, in terms of coaches, who, not how concept, yep. you know, how do you help the who's actually in your company grow so that they know that they're expanding and contributing to a higher level and you know how that's happening. So just tell us what exactly is dynamic role optimization? Sounds fancy. <laughs> So basically to start, you have, it's really like, what is a role in a company? And I think you have to be a little bit philosophical and think about that for a second. But to me, you know, about six months ago when I created this, before I get into the specifics of it, I just want to mention, you know, we live and breathe automation and optimization. We were at the point where it was like a 10 second win was like huge for us because like we really squeezed as much juice out of the orange as possible. But what we found with this dynamic role is we're saving over seven hours a week per person. And not just us, we've been implementing this with clients and they're seeing the same stuff. So this new concept really has been a quantum leap in terms of our internal efficiency, which there's about three years like where we hadn't seen a, such a leap. And so basically to start, what is a role? And for me, a role is the sum of micro responsibilities. So director of marketing, you know, on a job description, it might be like you're a team player and you own lead generation and, you know, six other bullet points that, you know, kind of say what it is, but it doesn't say like, you know, once a week you publish a podcast or you twice a month write an article for Inc. Magazine, right? Like it's not going to get that granular on a job description, right? Also, the world is changing. I mean, like, being agile is probably one of the number one most critical traits, in my opinion, that a company needs to have. Mm -hmm. Like, as we've seen with the pandemic, the whole way that we work is changing. 
And my point is the role of director of marketing or director of operating or anything two years ago probably looks very different today than it did two years ago. But you're not sending people new job descriptions every three months or every year, right? Because I'd be crazy. So for me, a role is the sum of micro responsibilities. You might be responsible slash accountable for 50 things, you know, writing the articles, producing the podcast, et cetera, et cetera, like really granular things. And not all things that you do are created equally, right? Some things you might also be responsible or part of your responsibility is scheduling certain client meetings right now. Like that is not as high level work as creating the marketing strategy for the podcast, right? Or launching a new podcast or whatever it is. So not everything that someone does is all at the same level. Not everything that you do, you get as much joy from or taps into your unique ability, right? So this concept of dynamic role, what it's trying to solve basically is you take this concept of unique ability, right? Where it's like, these are the things that are really good things for me to be doing. And then like, these are things that are kind of okay. And then here are things that like, I absolutely shouldn't be doing. And imagine if you apply that to your whole team and not only that, but everyone can see what everyone else has put and then they could start swapping individual responsibilities, mm -hmm. right? So at a high level, that's what we're trying to achieve with it. You know, back to what I was saying before, people are over hiring and, you know, if you could have an automation or, you know, better systems in place to avoid hiring, that's one way to reduce the pressure to hire. Mm -hmm. But another way to reduce pressure is like, maybe there's some people with extra bandwidth right now on payroll that could pick up some of the slack that someone either doesn't have the breathing room or doesn't want to do or whatever. Right. And so when you go through this exercise, it also reduces having to hire more people from external because you're allowing people to grow internally. Mm -hmm. You know, these people that are already on your team, they know the culture, you have established a relationship. So if you can give people more work internally, typically that's going to be a pretty good strategy. And actually that idea of internally hiring and not just for an entire role, which is how we often think about it, but actually for some of those micro responsibilities, that's yeah. a really cool concept. Totally. And it's one of the frustrations. I mean, a lot of Montreal team members, that's who I work with a lot, you know, they want to grow, they want to be challenged. They don't want to do the same thing over and over again and get the 50 t-shirt. You know, it's been there, done that. So it's really important that they have new opportunities to stretch and reach. And since we use profiles so often, you know, I have a, may have a, a mental energy for a certain type of task that could be used in multiple parts of the company. Yeah. I know that when I've done this, we call it a unique ability exercise, although of course you've automated it, which is super cool, is that, you know, if I were to put up my unique, excellent, competent, incompetent activities, incompetent being the ones I really don't want to ever touch again, unique, which I never want to give away, right? And the competent ones, I'd like to give those away too, if I could, you know, often when people swap, almost nothing's left. It's kind of miraculous. So one of the mindsets that's required for this is stuff that one person doesn't love doing, someone else will. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's not always like, hey, like, here's all the crap who wants to take crap because like, someone actually might love that stuff. And, you know, from your perspective, it's crap. Right. And they're not going to put their hand up if you say, who wants this crap? They're going to be like, right. um, okay. But, you know, when you actually say, there's these great things, I just don't want to do them. They're like, mine. Right. 
So I love the unique ability exercise. It's great for you to get clarity, right? But if you can have this in a digital system that everyone can see everyone's, right? You really can solve certain problems that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And it's not that everything, you might just find like, hey, there's a bunch of stuff that like we can't get off of someone's plate. Maybe we need to hire, like who's the next key hire that you need to make? And that's one of the other reasons why this is such a cool idea and process is because a lot of people, I get this question all the time, who should I hire? Yeah. I'm like, well, it depends a lot on what you're doing, what you shouldn't be doing, you know, what your team's doing, what they don't like doing. And you actually will end up with a pretty obvious set of totally. activities that need to get handled. And then you start designing the job description or the job, the role for that. Well, what I do now when I interview people, I pull up the DRO table that we have, right? Which clearly tells me like, okay, which hire is going to knock off basically the most pain for the company. And, you know, we'll go through the normal interview process, but then I'll just go through the micro responsibilities. Like you need to be able to balance the books at the end of the month. You need to be able to go into this tool and update the forecast and the button. We'll go through and it might be like 19 things and like, yes or no, do you think you could do it? And then at the end of the interview, we know if, you know, if we hire Donna, it's going to solve 14 things from the table, you know? Yeah. And if she's interested in the other five, right? Right. Which is really cool. And so basically over a podcast, like you need to kind of visualize some of this stuff, but conceptually, and you could do this in a spreadsheet as a MVP, very simple way of doing this. We're doing this in some software that adds a little bit more robustness to it. But to start this process, you need to have the concept or understand the concept of a work level. Mm-hmm. Most companies don't have this concept. Okay. And even if you don't want to go and roll out dynamic role optimization, the concept of work levels will help your company, right? So basically, you could go about it however you want. We have five work levels, and I'm happy to share with you if you want a PDF of it, then you could put in the show notes or whatever. I mean, we spent thousands of dollars kind of building this stuff out. So that could be a gift to the audience. But basically a work level one is kind of simple type of work. And as you'll see in the PDF, we kind of put some just common language in there. So a work level one person is basically going to say, hey, Shannon, I did what you asked for. Here it is, right? Versus a work level five would be like, hey, Shannon, you know what? I saw this gap in the market and actually like I think strategic coach in Africa is a massive market because of this, this, and this. And I contacted this company and we made a partnership and da, 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 right? Like those are two different levels of people, right? And two through four is just somewhere in between, right? Where there's like a little bit more pushback, a little bit more initiation. And so these work levels also correspond to a salary band, right? So once you have this concept and you hire someone and you know that they're a director, so it's like a work level three or they're a VP, so it's a work level four, and you know kind of what to expect. Well, if you're hiring a work level three for $100,000, let's say, and 10% of their job is work level one stuff that you could get someone at $10 an hour, mm-hmm. like, wouldn't you want to like figure out a way to like get that 10% off their plate because you're overpaying by quite a bit? So you have this concept of a work level. And then once you document the responsibilities, you assign a work level to each responsibility. So 
I'm a work level five, right? I'm the CEO, but I'm doing plenty of threes. I have a couple of twos. I've got a lot of fours. And so when I'm trying to figure out, Shannon, what do I need to get off my plate? It's a function of, well, what gives me joy and like what's frustrating. So there's a way for me to like tick off the box. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And then after that's ticked off, the stuff that has the highest delta, so I'm a five. So if I'm doing a two, that's a delta of three. So then you just order it by the highest delta and you get off the highest delta things. This is so fun. There's two coach concepts that completely relate to this. One is delegation levels. So a delegation level one, but yours is taken to a much a company level. So, but let me just relate this because I think it's fun. TWC Financial is the one who gave me permission to do this. And they had seven levels or something. It was a few too many. So we narrowed it down to four. Delegation level one, go find out about it, report back. Delegation level two, take care of it. Let me know each of the steps. Three, let me know what happened when it's done. Four, please just make it go away. <laughs> Right. And you can code them. You can do all sorts of fun names, but it's been really helpful because, you know, it, it helps express your confidence level in that person or in the activity. So that gets kind of interesting, but you've taken it to a whole wow. new point, which is super cool. I mean, it's solved so many problems in the company. So part of our hiring process now, before we even start interviewing or anything, we go and we make sure that the role in the dynamic role table is up to date. So we get really clear, like, what do we want this person to do on a micro responsibility level? That then drives the job description. Okay. There's one example I've been using all the time. I actually used it today. It's like, this is why people need to hire someone, what we would call a strategic assistant. If they're really good, they're actually your strategic support partner, but that's a high level. Because if you don't have an assistant, you are one, which is just to your point, you're doing level two, probably three activities, but you're a five right. and you're probably way too highly paid for the level of work you're producing. I mean, honestly, it was, it was scary. I didn't want to think too much about how much money I wasted over the last six years in terms of overpaying people for doing things that we could have hired way cheaper talent to do. Yeah. But at least it's solved now. Right. And to your point, if you don't have an assistant, you are an assistant. The biggest challenge is the awareness of what you are doing that you shouldn't be doing, right? So some of your tools, like the unique ability exercise, like if people listening right now were to not just do it for themselves, but do it with their team and audit every day. So I developed this out of pain, right? Like about six months ago, because we talk all the time, right? And you're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I don't know about this free day thing. Like, I don't see how it's possible. This is like the boogeyman or something. Like, I don't know if this really exists. We've had debates over free days, just so you know. <laughs> So at one point, I'm like, all right, the only way that this is going to get better is if I'm more aware of where I'm spending my time. And so kind of back to that extra 10% for retrieval, every day I spent, I allocated a bit of extra time, say it's 30 minutes to really write down all the stuff that I hated doing that day. Mm. Right. And like really getting aware. And what I found for myself personally is my high pain tolerance is both my gift, but also it can hurt me because, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably listening right now can relate to this where you probably by the very nature of running a business have a high pain tolerance, which means you're able to absorb and pick up crap for long periods of time. Sure. And so if you take pause and you really try to audit that, write it down, 
and analyze it. So I did that. And then I started meeting with my team. Like, this is all the stuff I'm doing that I don't like doing. Like, what do you guys think? Who could take some of this off? And when I started auditing it, I realized that there was so much that I could get off my plate that just because I was used to doing it, I wasn't stopping to think about delegating it. I really love that. I mean, it's same with our whole who, not how conversation, but it's stopping. It's getting out of a habit, right? Of just doing everything because the pause to reflect is always how we learn as human beings, but it's a big deal and it's hard to do. I mean, almost to translate it to coach tools, you're talking about doing what we would call an activity inventory almost every day, right? And now you pick the high pain <laughs> things, but it means you have to stop and actually be willing to judge it and then go back to your team, who's awesome, to say, okay, and this is the going back to our conversation before, you're not saying these are crappy activities. You're owning it and saying these are activities that are crappy for me, right? And someone else goes, oh, you hate it? And yeah, you're not that great at it anyway, So, but I'll take it and I love it, so thank you. And for them, it's an opportunity. So switching your brain from not wanting to share what you thought was not a fun activity and recognizing it's simply not fun for you and for someone else, it could be a huge opportunity. Totally. Well, a few more points and benefits to this, right? So one, we've built in kind of an incentive model to have people want to pick up higher level work. Mm -hmm. So as a business, we want people to be, if possible, negative Delta. Like we want to be paying someone 100K to be doing 200K a year work, right? (laughs) Good way to think about it. And so you could consider some type of policy where, you know, part of getting a pay raise is a function of what's your average level of work that you're working on. If you're a level three, but your average is a 2.5, it's going to be hard to justify giving you a raise. But if your average is a 3.5 and like you're doing half threes, half fours, well, maybe you do deserve a raise. So it has a natural incentive for people to start trying to get off of their plate, the lower level work and try to up level to higher level work. Mm. What also it's done is it's totally changed the culture. When we do staff net promoter score surveys, the team is way happier now than they were six months or 12 months ago, right? Because they're doing stuff that is more intellectually stimulating, that gives them more joy. And also the third thing is, you know, we just started Q4. Part of our quarterly planning process is we sit down, we do one-on-ones, but part of it, I mean, I can't guarantee that if you want to get 20 things off your plate, like I can't do that tomorrow. But at the very least, we have a conversation every quarter And we go over the top, say, three to five most painful things. And we don't try to shoot for everything. But like, if we could get two, three, maybe four things off your plate, imagine after two quarters, three quarters, four quarters, your role starts to morph into something far better for you, right? This is like how to absolutely personalize a role. Yeah, that's why it's dynamic. Good, because like we've talked about role and optimization. We haven't got to the dynamic part, which is the best part. It's the cherry on top, because then you get a role that's just custom designed for you. It takes time. doesn't happen overnight, as you said. Yep. But there's another, the benefit of this. So if the role, if you know that you're going to keep growing in your role, you know you've got opportunities to take on higher level work. You know you have opportunities to get rid of work that is painful for you, that you don't love doing, either because you're not good at it or, frankly, you're bored big danger for growth-minded people. Yep. I mean, you have just nailed an incredible retention strategy. Why would anyone leave a company where your job is customized to you? Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that, right? Because I think employee retention is a metric that is underlooked at. And you know, back to cost of hiring, 
If you could even find someone right now, it's tight. I mean, you have to invest in the recruiting process and the interview process. And what's the probability that it doesn't work out and you waste time training them. And even in the perfect scenario, you find someone really quickly and it's going to take months before they're really onboarded and adding value. So it's super expensive to hire people. And just like how, you know, I think I talked on the last episode about attraction, conversion, retention as it relates to clients. And most people kind of go left to right. And they're really focused on attraction because, you know, marketing is sexy and how big is your email list is kind of like the new way for people to brag. But what's the point of attracting new leads if you can't convert them? And what's the point of converting if you can't retain them? It's like, Imagine if you have a, a sink that's overflowing with water and you're just trying to mop faster rather than trying to plug the hole. So it's the same thing with hiring. You know, it's cheaper and a much better strategy to try to increase. If you have bad retention on the employee side, you got to fix that before you start trying to optimize a recruiting funnel. And this could be a key strategy in increasing your employee retention. 100%. And it, it really is an issue right now. So I was coaching a bunch of our entrepreneurial team leaders of our clients a week or two ago. And I think with the exception of one person, they were advertising and advertising and attracting good candidates. And these, Dan will always say, Dan Sullivan, always say, well, you have to make sure you're a great entrepreneur to attract great clients. And I'm Dan, I've been coaching these guys for 20 years. They're great entrepreneurs. <laughs> but there's just a, you know, they're growing and they actually have an advantage because they are great companies to work for. And I have a whole thing that you know, we need to market for talent the same way that we do for clients. And that now is becoming a thing. There's a lot of competition out there. And you actually need to have a really great culture. You need to be able to promise someone that their future is going to be bigger with you. You need to promise that they're going to really like the people with whom they get to work. So this is crucial. We spend a decent amount of money on marketing or we're ramping it up for my book launch, but every ink article, every, I have a podcast too, every podcast, it's not just to attract clients. It's equally important to be speaking to attracting talent. Mm. Yeah. I think talent marketing is a thing. Ooh, trademark that one. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and then lastly, it also de-risks you, right? Cause no matter how good of a culture things happen and people do leave and when you don't have good systems and processes, when people leave and their knowledge isn't captured or what they were working on isn't like an Asana, or, for example, or what they're responsible for isn't documented in something like DRO, what you definitely don't want is when someone leaves, all of that information leaves the moment that they leave the door. And now you got to figure it out from scratch. And like you're then just stuck on this kind of hamster wheel where it's like you're constantly reinventing the wheel and paying people to refigure things out that you should have just figured out once. It should have been documented and it makes it so much easier to get new people up to speed too. Yes. Couldn't agree more. And we actually had someone, cause we used to have the paper and pencil way of documenting. You have of course an automatic system, for that. but it's interesting that one of our clients who's a valuation expert, he said, because we told him we had literally have 500 unique methods, which is our process for doing that. Documented processes in how to run strategic coach, how to run workshops, how to do finds in the database, how to mail something, you name it, we had it documented. And he said, you've just doubled, if not more, the value of your company. Because normally in most companies, all of the information walks out the door at five o'clock with your team. So again, what I love about this so, so much, we're talking about how to make people happier, always something I'm going for. 
But this is so strategic because it allows you to improve your bottom line, your top line, retain people, attract really great people. I mean, if you just keep your team members happy and you're looking for other great people like them, you want them to be one of your best referral sources for new great talent. And they're not going to do that if your culture is terrible. Totally, totally. Yeah. And yeah, documenting is so important. That's why we still have to figure out how we do that process documentation stuff with strategic coach and leverage that we were talking about. So we'll figure that out. It's on the list. (laughs) Yeah, a lot on the list. Awesome. I love it. We always have stuff to work on. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, you've mentioned software that you use. I'm not sure if it's something that's available for other people or not, or if they could build their own. So how can, talked about what dynamic role optimization is, how the incredible difference it can make to your company. It does mean stopping and thinking about your thinking, not just doing like, you know, I was called use the analogy of whack-a-mole, you know, you're just <laughs> putting out the fires wherever they come up. But so how can people take action on this? You very generously shared, we'll share your list, find a way to get that up on the site. But how can people start to make this real for themselves? What are some first steps just to make some sense of this? Well, the work levels is one. So I'll send that PDF or people could shoot an email to hello at getleverage.com and we can provide some of that. Love that. I also have some talks I've given on this. So if you email, we can send you a video of the talk. But even just paper and pen documenting stuff that you do and just getting really aware of what are all the things that you're doing with a high delta that you don't like doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really the, the start. As it relates to the systems that you're talking about, we're partners with a bunch of them like Process Street and Asana. And we're really good at helping people with those. So if anyone listening needs help with that or... Uh, we get preferred pricing. So also you could email and we could help you to get signed up and some discount. I forget what the discount is. <laughs> I love that story. Awesome. So basically it's really understanding these micro responsibilities, assigning them the levels. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, even if someone to take an activity inventory and do it with your whole team, not just yourself and assign levels of that task, that would be a killer way to get started with this and then have that conversation even just to start of saying, okay, give me your (laughs) level ones. What are the things you want to get off your plate? Color code them. And then see if you can have a collaboration with the team and trade activities. And I'm curious to find what your experience is with this. I found that you ended up with some very unique job descriptions, but they were very customized Mm -hmm. and to the people that were there, which was fascinating. So as they moved rules, roles, I should say, you know, Things shifted, new people picked them up, all that kind of stuff. But it was really great because their role was made for them and it kind of broke them out of the normal, I would say, corporate structure. I mean, we talk about unique ability roles as ones where you expand your contribution rather than climbing a ladder. I don't know. It's a different way of thinking about it, but I want to see how that landed with you. Yeah. I mean, this allows people to climb that ladder or whatever, and everyone's ladder looks a little bit different. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> I love that. Any closing words about dynamic role optimization? I love the difference it's made for your company and how much happier it's made everyone. Of course, you put systems and structures and automation around an idea and a concept as you often do. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Any closing words of wisdom? I mean, I would just advise people because I, I do find that in general, I mean, dynamic role to me is just a subset of operational efficiency. And I do think that people don't pay enough attention to this type of stuff. And it really is so critical 
to being able to scale, to being able to scale without the pain. And so, you know, we're going into a new quarter. It's Q4. We're about to go into a new year. I think most people basically invest 100% of energy into top line and like zero into operational efficiency. And it's kind of like, in some cases, it's like buying an insurance policy that you couldn't go to an insurance broker to buy. But in other cases, it literally just adds to your bottom line and saves everyone pain and, and headache. And so what I would advise is allocate some percentage every quarter and to your you know, yearly and quarterly initiatives. It doesn't have to be 0% on top line and 100% bottom line. It doesn't even need to be 50-50, but depending on where you're at, it's oftentimes worth sacrificing in the short term a little bit of growth and investing in that foundational layer for the long term. So it, maybe it's 80% top and 20% bottom. Whatever that is, it can't be zero. It's a huge mistake in the long term to completely just neglect operational efficiency. I love it. And it's a little bit what we talk about in our 10X program, simplify before you multiply. Yeah. Because multiplying complexity makes absolutely no sense for any sane human being to do. And that's what so many people do when they want to grow, but they forget to simplify first. Right, exactly. And then before you know it, you're operating on duct tape and spit and all of your time is spent putting out fires and you have zero bandwidth to fix anything properly. I love it. I love, Nick, that we are always wanting to be heroes to the same people. Mm -hmm. We care about them. We get there a very different way. But I love how we're always aligned on the best result for both people and the company. So thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your awesome insights as always. Thank you so much for having me. It was great.